We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey there, Knicks fans. How you doing? Welcome to another episode of Cap Rules Everything Around Me. Cream, get the money, dollar dollar bills, y'all. My name is Jeremy Cohen. I'm very excited to be here for another episode. This is the first one we've done in some time, so it's good to be back. Uh, we are T-minus 23 days away from the trade deadline. So a lot's going to happen with the NBA in that span. Should be pretty exciting. Of course, the Knicks have already made a big trade this year, the largest one under this regime. And it's only fitting that uh, it was not planned. Uh, even with dear uh, KFS subscriber Matt Stacks, I mean Fred Katz, producing an article that came out today about Quentin Grimes that was not coordinated by any stretch. So I'm glad. Thank you to Fred for dropping a great article. And ushering in this conversation. So I'll use that as my one big thing. When I saw the article and the report about Grimes potentially being traded and the Knicks fielding offers, you know, my first thought wasn't, oh my God, I can't believe they've traded him because they haven't. He's still on the team. They are fielding offers. And as usual, it's also about what's coming back. So until we know that, piece of it, it's kind of hard to evaluate what a trade would be. The thing that surprises me isn't that the Knicks would be trying to field offers for Quentin Grimes. I mean, they do that for all of their players. It's protocol. They try to get an understanding of where the league values these players. It's not even the idea that Quentin Grimes wouldn't be on this team moving forward. I mean, you don't have to study the salary cap or the the books to an unhealthy degree to know that Jalen Brunson at some point is going to make a lot of money. Julius Randle's potentially going to make more money. OG Ananobi is going to make more money. Isaiah Hartenstein needs to be paid. Josh Hart is here. Dante DiVincenzo is here. The list goes on and on. So it's not surprising that the Knicks would say, you know, considering the role that Quentin Grimes is in, maybe paying upwards of $12 million a year, you know, it's not necessarily going to happen down the line. It's happening now that that's the thing that kind of raises an eyebrow for me. Because, again, I 
kind of go into this mindset of it makes total sense to move Quentin Grimes this summer. And I'm not saying it doesn't make any sense to move him this year because, again, it depends on what's coming back. But the Knicks have done a great job through this front office of consistently having depth, right? So the reason I feel like we're able to see the Knicks ramping up any talk of potentially moving Quentin Grimes is because Deuce McBride is playing really well. But Deuce McBride also isn't necessarily the lead ball handler that you want to run your offense, which is then where getting a point guard, another one comes into play. And I think with Jalen Brunson being a little nicked up, that's where getting this other point guard certainly helps. But with Brunson out, you have McBride elevated, but you're still struggling because you're not going to play Archie Diacono. And Flynn is just not, at least I certainly don't believe, going to be a, a piece that is here in New York long term. So you get by and you can buy yourself a few games. Of course, they nearly lost the Grizzlies game. Fortunately, they won. Uh, they lost the Magic game. That was certainly unfortunate. But you can't necessarily go by just there. It's thin. There needs to be more. And so you hope everyone's healthy. But in the event that everyone is, of course, if you got another ball handler, then there's a very good chance that, that means that Deuce is out of the rotation once again. And Deuce doesn't necessarily deserve to be out of the rotation. And it's hard to say, hey, we just paid you. We're going to shelve you. And if an injury comes up, then it makes sense. Which is why if you're going to preempt the Grimes portion of it, I get it. Of course, it also depends on what comes back. So what might that be? I mean, look, we know there are teams that I'm sure would be interested in a young player like Grimes who defends really well. I believe he was past the 80th percentile on DEPM. He has a very clean shot, as we all know. He's a really good catch and shoot option. Takes a lot of threes and hits quite a few of them too. So there's a quality player there. The role is just kind of swallowing him up in a bit. So how do you move about this? And I'm sure there are various trades and I would imagine that Anyone watching live will be adding commentary that will be picked out and we'll talk about it. But the thought that occurred to me of where this works, like what would I want in a Quentin Grimes trade? It was always, hey, if the Knicks move him later, the best option is going to be as part of a larger star trade. Star becomes available. You need salary, but you also need young talent. And Grimes could help bridge the gap for both of those things. He'd still be on his rookie deal. And... Yes, the team that gets him would have to pay him a year later, but that shouldn't be an issue because he's a good quality player and you're okay paying him 12, 15, however many million dollars that it would take, especially as the cap keeps keeps going up. But in terms of the best type of package coming back, it all depends, of course, on other pieces at play. Are you involving Evan Fournier's salary? Are you trading Quentin Grimes separately? What is the type of return? And a team that stood out to me as I saw the trade, or excuse the trade, speaking into existence, it hasn't even happened. As I saw uh, this article and everything that was unfolding, the team that came to the forefront for me was actually the Utah Jazz. And the reason wasn't just because Danny Ainge has shown affection, so to speak, for Quentin Grimes, that they clearly wanted him as part of any Donovan Mitchell trade and that he would have been happy to go out there because he would have had ample opportunity. Um, it's not just because the Jazz are 22nd in defensive rating, according to Cleaning the Glass, and have been playing pretty well. Their pick is top 10 protected. 
We will see if they care enough to tank. I don't know if they will anymore, considering that pick has protections for three years. So you might as well do it. It's kind of finding out where these line up and what the Knicks would want out of it. So with Grimes, you know, you're not going to get an unprotected pick out of him from any of these teams, because why would you? And if you're getting protected picks, then it's term, you know, what is the value of the protections? Is it a good protected pick? There seems to be this mindset that happens frequently that when a pick gets protected, it's instantly uh, losing its all of its value or a bunch of it. Like, yes, is the Wizards pick? Has it lost a ton of value? Of course. But the Bucks pick, is that suddenly valueless when if a team traded everything in its possession and was a contender, they'd probably have around the same pick uh, where the Bucks would fall. Different protected picks, everything going on. What you have to keep going back to is what's the end game? What do the Knicks want? Who are they targeting? What is of interest? And now if you're like me, you're thinking of some big fish and look, maybe they're not available. And that's not necessarily a reason to preempt it, right? It's not like moving Grimes now is imperative because, hey, Joel Embiid might be available. So you got to do something like that. Or Donovan Mitchell might be available. So do something there. Shouldn't be the case. But there's where Deuce McBride comes into the fold and there's also potentially Rokas Yakabitis next season. You could get additions in using Fournier's contract. There's a lot of moving pieces that are there. But when I look at the Jazz, I see a Jazz team that probably doesn't have a first round pick this year if they finish outside of the bottom 10 in the NBA. And then in 2025, they've got three first round picks, assuming they would, of course, be keeping their own pick because this year it would have conveyed to OKC. Then they've got the Minnesota pick and they've got the Cavs pick. And then they've got the same thing two years later. Uh, plus, in 2027, they have the Lakers protected pick, I believe. Um, there's some strong protections on that, but it's not strong enough where it's really an issue. It's five to 30. So if you are of the belief that the Lakers won't finish with a bottom four record or won't go into the top four of the draft, then that could be an attainable piece. And so it's kind of mixing and matching where the jazz have a lot of picks. They've got a lot of picks in years that are, uh, it's not really spread out. It's not like 2026 has, picks 2028 has picks it's it's very every other year so they're operating a surplus maybe they're interested there's the jordan clarkson angle of it where i've talked about clarkson where i don't love his salary in a larger trade because of how the math shakes out the difference about clarkson which i didn't include in my cap or no cap is that clarkson's making about 23 million dollars so this year so yes next season the math can be pretty tricky this season, anything up until June 30th, you can still use Clarkson's larger salary to help you with anything that you might need. So that's something that should be potentially considered here where maybe the Knicks don't need to go out and get Brogdon and give up a protected pick if that's what it costs. Maybe it could just be we're also taking other riches and adding something in a different way being future draft equity. Um, it could even be protecting the Cavs or the Wolves picks, any of them. Utah is allowed to do that. They're allowed to put protections on unprotected picks. So it's a lot of tinkering that can go about this. And in my mind, which is kind of like the, hey, look, I know I'm playing 8D Mahjong here, but let's bear with me. Wouldn't it be great if you were able to move Grimes, you have a replacement in-house in McBride, and then you were to get one of those 2027 picks. Let's again, say it's the Lakers one. And then you look at 
a team like Philly and you look at their draft situation and they're probably going to have to give up a 2025 first, even if Embiid is traded. Let's say he doesn't even go to the Knicks. Let's say he's traded elsewhere. They're not going to be bad enough to retain that pick. And then two years later, they've got to deal with a similar situation, which is that they would owe a pick to the Nets. So if you're looking at Philadelphia, then there's an interesting perspective here of, well, we could give you a pick next year, Philly, which gives you coverage and you're good there. We give you additional picks down the line, but we can also give you coverage in 2027 because that pick is likely to convey too. So if you're able to find circumstances that fit for other teams, then it's great. The problem, of course, is we're looking at this from an outrage perspective of, I can't believe they're doing this. Uh, how is it? How is this possible? If it had leaked beforehand, the Knicks are interested in moving Emmanuel quickly and attaching him to RJ Barrett to get OG and an OB. If that were the messaging a month before, the internet would go crazy. But instead, it just dropped and everyone was so shocked that it just happened. So the issue with good reporting is that it just leads us to fear and concern. But we don't also think about what we could gain. We just think about what we could lose and how frustrating and mad that makes us feel because we're emotionally invested in players, which is totally fine because we're fans and that's what we should do. But it misses so many key components of it. And that is the issue there. So that's my one big thing where I think it's interesting, at least that we're hearing about this with Grimes now, as opposed to say this summer, but that's the magic of Deuce and what he's been able to do where I don't think he's necessarily forced the entire issue, but between DiVincenzo and Deuce playing better and any other grand plans the Knicks have, the writing is pretty much on the wall for Grimes. It's just a matter of when he would be moved. So, uh, that is essentially the 10,000 foot view from where I'm seated, at least. And we can go from there. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If we've got any questions to get us started, be happy to answer them and we'll see where it goes. So first up is from DeVronte. Jeremy is the effing man. Uh, thank you. Appreciate that, DeVronte. Uh, very kind of you. Not a basketball question, but I appreciate the praise. That's very. You didn't read it right. What did I say? Oh, it's F and what? Because I got a multiple A's in that one. You, you got to phonetically say it. So it's Jeremy is the effing man. I'll take that. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, from Busy, if I send my question, will it be chosen? If Andrew determines that it's uh, chosen, then it will be chosen. Busy, yeah. 
Let's see. Figure that was a solid first question. That's how okay. it'll work. If you send in a That's, question, yeah. Yeah, this goes I will see. <laughs> this isn't a pay to play. Look, it, it whatever you want to do with your wallets, that's great. That's fine. But I just want to talk basketball. I want to answer the questions that we've got here. Excited to do it as always. So uh, if you've got a question and you're watching live, don't be shy. Let's do it. Well, speaking of, here's your first real question. Okay. Uh, South Gooner 86. I have no money. It's totally fine. Totally. Hey, okay. Appreciate the question. Can we trade our 2024 first round pick now? I know we can trade on draft night, but I thought we trade ours last year, so we can't this year. Please fill me in. So this brings up a good point, which is let's talk about Stepien rule. The confusion with Stepien rule is that you can't trade back-to-back picks that you own. And that's not the right way to read into it. It's you can't trade back-to-back future picks that you own. You need some sort of coverage. So when a pick gets conveyed, it's in the past. So last year, when the Knicks traded Josh Hart and the 2023 first round pick to Portland, when they were entering draft night, right? Not draft hadn't started yet and their pick hadn't gone through. The Knicks, seated where they were, could not at that moment trade the 2024 first round pick that they owned. They also couldn't trade any of the 2024 protected picks. That's the Mavs pick. That's the Wizards pick. That's the Pistons pick. And said, hey, well, we've got these picks. So they could have traded any of those, but they couldn't have traded their own pick and said, we've got coverage with the other ones. The reason being, they would be at a potential disadvantage where those picks don't convey and their own pick does in 2024. And they would have overextended and gone at a point where they traded two future picks at once. Can't do that. The pick then was conveyed. It happened. It was in the past. Now it unlocks the pick that's seven years down the line, but it also gives you 2024. It's, it's completely yours to move right now. So you enter after the draft, right after that pick or whatever it would be. And yes, you can move the 2024 pick. It is unlocked. It's totally free to move. Um, but if the Knicks traded their 2024 pick, their own at the deadline, they couldn't trade the 2025 pick. The earliest pick of their own they could trade is the 2026 pick. That's why using any of the protected picks that the Knicks own in a trade this deadline, if they needed it, is far more preferable because it doesn't gum up the works. Could you get around it? Maybe. Yes. Right. If you were to do this and then do the same thing next in the draft of waiting until the draft's over, whatever it would be, you could do it. But also, Maybe you don't need to do it. Maybe you could, if you feel pretty confident about the Mavericks pick conveying this year, and I know we said that about it this time last year and it didn't convey, but this year, given the parity of the league and where it's at, you would feel more confident dealing that one and it going through. Uh, So to wrap that question up, yes, the Knicks can still trade their 2024 pick. They can trade uh, not all of their picks, obviously, because Stepien would imply like, oh, if you trade 2024, you can't trade 2025. If you trade 2024 and 2026, you can't trade 25 or 27. But the Knicks can trade up to four of their own first round picks and then all four of the protected first round picks that they own, which means they can trade up to eight first round picks, depending, of course, on the order. Can't be 24, 25, 26 of their own. Uh, Long-winded way of answering that question, but it's a great question because I see it come up quite a bit. Thank you. Alex, three-team trade doable. Utah, Chicago, for Kelly Olenek, DeRozan, and Caruso. Let's break it down. For Caruso, I mean, 
in terms of how this would all work, I assume are all these players coming to the Knicks? If so, I mean, it doesn't, I don't know how that would essentially work without moving out more core pieces that would be better in a larger trade. Olenek and DeRozan are going to be free agents this summer, so it's not like you can really move them this summer with ease because sign-and-trade rules get very complicated. Caruso, certainly one of the better defenders in the NBA. He's under contract for less than $10 million last year. When it comes to matching, that's not really going to work out. Let's ignore that. Let's forget about, hey, let's just look at the team this year. If you want to look at the team this year, Kelly Olenek doesn't do any of the things that the Knicks like in their rim protectors, right? Like, Mitchell Robinson, Isaiah Hardenstein, Nerlens Noel, um, Taj Gibson to an extent, Precious Chua, I'm not counting because I'm still not sold that he is the type of center they like. They are rim protectors who rebound the ball really well on the offensive glass and don't take a whole lot of offensive uh, or outside perimeter shots. Kelly Olenek is a prolific perimeter player and uh, doesn't protect the rim. So he doesn't work in terms of a, a match. But even if you were to get him, you would probably be moving Fournier out, which you could do. But then where's the money also to get DeRozan or Caruso? Because your larger contracts are staying here. You're not moving Brunson. Randall's not going to go anywhere, for at least not for DeRozan or Caruso. So the way of getting all of these players, it's hard to even get uh, one of them. Like You get Olenek with Fournier, as I mentioned. Caruso's tougher because it would be, you can't, really trade anyone that you value into the team, right? You can't move, you can move Hartenstein for Caruso in theory, but then that hurts you. You could move Mitch for Caruso, but why? Um, It doesn't really work the way that it would need to. So if the Knicks could get a salary to come in and then go into the trade player exception and then trade out with Caruso, they could potentially do that. The question, of course, is did that window pass? Is that really going to be feasible? You can't aggregate salary, but you could potentially trade one than the other, but it's tough to get everything to line up where you get the right player and the right timing and all of that. So uh, even if it's even if I'm misreading the question, and, and apologies if I am, where instead it's like DeRozan and Caruso go to Utah and uh, Olenek goes to Chicago or something like that, it, I just don't think these are the best trade partners with these players in mind. But I appreciate the question. Kevin Danishevsky, thank you for the Super Chat contribution, Kevin. Uh, FYI, Simons is an A-minus shot creator according to Basketball Index. In terms of likely options with Quentin Grimes' time here short, I feel myself moving to DeJounte Murray. So Kevin thinks that Simons is a great option. I strongly disagree. We know Tom Thibodeau has a very high standard for players who are capable defensively. Even with their warts on offense, you have to have a high defensive floor. Simons has finished in the first percentile in defense in his career twice already. And he's doing it again this season. And yes, Simons has a strong offensive reputation. But the issue, of course, is you're going to have to pair him with Brunson because, as Kevin would argue and has argued, that, oh, you don't have to, you can find ways that they could be ships on the night constantly. And that's just not going to fly, especially considering we saw quickly and Brunson play significant minutes together. So it's not like they can just be totally away from each other and it's fine. 
It's also a larger contract. You have to say to the team, hey, yes, we got matching salary, but also this player is one of the worst defenders in the NBA. But we hope you'll take him, and that'll be great. It just doesn't fit. It doesn't make sense to do it that way. Simons has played a lot more off ball. He can do some creation, but he's just like, he, there's, there's not the responsibility he has for a reason. That's just not who he is. It's not his game necessarily. So it, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to bring in another player like that with that contract, with that level of defensive reputation. I mean, look, I'm not the biggest Jordan Clarkson fan here. I don't think he's the ideal player for the Knicks either. But I got to tell you, looking at $23 million this year and then $14 million next year and $14 million the year after that is certainly more palatable than a contract that's, I believe, 25 this year for Simons and then escalates up. So, yes, Simons is younger, but Clarkson, if you're getting similar value in terms of what they're bringing... Is it really worth the extra $10 million to a team to bring Simons in to this team? It shouldn't be because again, we've seen how hard it is to crack a rotation for Tom Thibodeau. If your defense is that lackluster, I mean, with Deuce, he gets away with it, which is surprising. I mean, again, we know that Deuce can impact the defense more than the DEPM would imply. And Brunson, we know it's bad, but that's because his offense is through the roof. So if you've got already your high elite offensive player who's just piss poor defensively, and the other thing with Brunson at least is he takes all these charges, leads I believe leads the league in in charges drawn. So you're getting some level of physicality somewhere. It's just limited by what he can do. So no, I don't see Simons as a compelling option. Uh, no matter how many times you tell me or other people, Kevin, with all due respect and love, it's it it's. It's, you know, it's like fetch. Stop making fetch happen. It's not going to happen. We don't need to keep bringing in smaller ball handlers on big contracts from Portland to get them into the building. And as for Murray, the trade kicker is the kicker. It's not easy to add to that salary. He'd have to renounce it, which I don't see him necessarily doing, but I'm not counting his money. And it's hard to get the talent that you want that also fits and doesn't disrupt the starting five. So are you bringing him off the bench, but you're not bringing up the bench? I mean, it works in theory perfectly, but in reality, I just struggle to see that. And I say that hand up as someone who went on a live stream similar to this. And even though I hated the fit for the most part, then uh, it's just too much for me to ignore at a certain point where you can find similar talent that will cost you far less um, and be involved in the picture. So uh, Kevin, I don't know if it's going to be either of those guys. Uh, so maybe find Clarkson or Brogdon or someone else. I don't know. But thank you for the question. Super chat. Lumbar. Any chance the Knicks take the package the Kings are offering for Siakam, Barnes and Hunter and trade Randall? Would those contracts be easier to move in a superstar trade than Randall? So let's think this through. If you are the Raptors, are you going to want Julius Randall? Probably not. I mean, if they really wanted to, the Knicks could have found a way I would gather to loop in Randall to any Siakam deal. Didn't mean that they had to, they could have broken it up. We're all, we're just speaking hypothetically here where they could have said, Hey, look, we need to get OG on December 30th because we want to extend him potentially in 
end of June before free agency starts. And so because of that, we know you have to work out your thing with Siakam and you're probably going to gauge the market. We can always break this up. The reason that the Kings, I believe, would be offering Barnes and Herder is also the pick comp that would come of it. And of course, the Knicks wouldn't be offering significant or maybe even really any pick comp because Randall has been a better player than Siakam over the last few years. Siakam had a great season a couple of years ago, 100%, but Randall's also had two really good seasons since then too. And he's having a great season now, although of course he's done a couple of rough games as of late. It doesn't really help them, especially from a salary matching standpoint, because the, the Knicks would essentially have to commit to Randall and Fournier off the top of my head, just napkin math, where Randall just for Siakam wouldn't work. And Randall and Grimes for Siakam wouldn't work either. So let's say you get Siakam in the door. Well, how else are you addressing your ball handling need? And are you prepared to offer a five-year max to Siakam? Because I had to tell you, I'd rather Julius Randall in her contract next season than pay Siakam a five-year max. It's a lot of money to give to him. So I don't see why they would go about it that way. I I just think there's there are more pressing needs around the wing. Uh, and of course, primarily at the uh, lead ball handler position. So I just don't see that as easier because I also don't know if teams are going to be lining up to take Siakam when he's, you know, year two into a five-year contract. That's 35% or so of the salary cap um, or 30%. Depends on how many years Siakam has been in the league. It'd probably be, it'd be 30%, not 35. But it's just not super advantageous in my opinion. I just don't see it. it it's also the Knicks try not to make earth-shattering moves. So, I mean, obviously they did with OG naturally, but that's because they had to because they felt that they had to. And I don't think they feel like they have to move Randall, especially in season. I think that's more of, look, we're open to it. We're open to probably any player that's not named Jalen Brunson, but there's a time and a place for everything. So I don't see that happening, Lombard. I just also want to mention, shout out to, uh, we've got 450 people watching live on a, Tuesday evening, in, uh, at least here, what was a snowy New York. So thank you all. Really appreciate you joining. Uh, here's Busy. You guys talked about the fit with Murray, how he wasn't perfect with Brunson. What about Tibbs? Slightly, as- slightly less athletic than peak D. Rose pressure on the rim point guard. 48 minutes for rim pressure from the point guard position. Yeah, that's great. That's certainly a factor, but that isn't the only one, right? Like It's not just about rim pressure. Uh, there's the spot-up shooting, which Murray doesn't do a good job of, as we articulated in, uh, in Cap or No Cap. Uh, there's the issue of, gosh, I mean, I, I, like, his mid-range is good. His pull-up from three this year is very good, but it's also uncharacteristically good. It's an anomaly good. Years past, it's been really bad. And I don't think that this year is, wow, DeJounte Murray has taken a Julius Randle-esque pull-up game type change and he's fantastic. I think it's more of he's hitting really good shots and that's great, but it feels a little fluky. I hear you on the rim protection, the rim um, presence and, and driving and the pressure there. I get that, but there's also the other key component of the Knicks have found the right 
shooting match. They have not just guys who space the floor, but guys who take the right types of shots that they like at the right time. You know, not too rushed. They have good ball movement. And it's not to say DeJounte Murray can't be a good passer. Um, DeJounte Murray also has a good defensive EPM. You could point to that. But also, when you hunker down and watch more of the tape, his off-ball defense leaves a ton to be desired. So, it's not that... You're not necessarily going to find the perfect fit, right? But it's going to be problematic enough where I just don't see how it works for anyone. And you can you can sell it to Clarkson or Brogdon or another clutch client of, you come off the bench in these situations, how would you like to come off the bench for a team that's winning? Even more so than your team is currently. And for Murray, the expectation is going to be he's a day one starter. And when you see how good this starting five is, do we want to break that up? And it's, you might be saying, for example, busy, like DeJounte Murray is DeJounte Murray. Of course you would want to try to break that up. But also again, the off ball shooting, especially when you have Julius Randall shooting below 30% from three and a center at, at, you know, whether it would be Mitch or Hartenstein doesn't take threes and certainly doesn't really make them. So now you're shrinking it even more. So it's putting even more pressure on Brunson because you're not going to have Ananobi come off the bench. It's going to be someone like DiVincenzo, who's shooting one of the best seasons that we've seen from a Nick player ever. So there's no significant fit here that makes sense. The only reason I think you would move someone to the bench is if you got a better shooter or someone whose shot making was so good and could shoot, especially off the catch. Um, especially like a consistent pull-up shooter. Like if you got Devin Booker, of course Dante DiVincenzo would come off the bench. But this is not Devin Booker. This is Jante Murray, who is a good player, who will go for probably more than the Knicks would be comfortable getting because even if you turned around and traded him and tried to package him for a star, hopefully you could do that. But also, you might be better suited with that team saying, we didn't really want DeJounte Murray. We wanted the picks because we want the picks that come with it. So yes, there are pauses. We've outlined the pauses for why DeJounte Murray would fit here, but the negatives, the reasons why it just doesn't mesh super well outweigh those positives to me. And I would hope that they outweigh them for the front office too, because they've got a good thing going. Just find those stretches. It's because it's not just the rim. It's not the rim pressure. There have been, I'm so tired and I'm sure everyone here is too, of seeing that freaking graphic that says zero field goals in four, five, six minutes. And it pops up seemingly every game. And I don't think it's been there in games before the, tr- the big trade. Uh, it might just be one of those things where uh, it is legitimate. Or is it kind of like when you see uh, numbers and you think that n- like it's significant and clearly there's a sign uh, from a higher power. And the reality is we just don't notice these signs. It's just like they're around. We just don't think of them until it we're made to think of them. So look, maybe it's similar to that, but I don't think so. I think there have been legitimate stretches that feel very different from anything we've seen before because the Knicks don't have a manual quickly and they need someone to replace that level of production. And so, yeah, maybe it could be DeJounte Murray, but not at the risk of the other things that Quick was able to do, which DeJounte Murray can't really do as well. Um, you're going to have DeJounte Murray closing games. And I don't know how I feel about that. I don't love that idea. I And yet you're not going to have a situation where he doesn't close games. So uh, I get it. If you like him, I get it. If you feel like he's a good fit here, I'm not in that camp. 
I'm really more about, I'll take the salary, but I just think there are other options that work on the court that will cost less. You could take the assets that you would have used to get DeJounte Murray and add them to a different star trade. And the team that maybe trades for that star reaps those benefits instead of working with DeJounte Murray, especially if they don't want DeJounte Murray. Picks can be anything. DeJounte Murray is always going to be DeJounte Murray. Uh, But thank you, Busy. I appreciate that. Joseph Brennan, thank you for the Super Chat contribution. Tough to trade Grimes, only get picks back. He's really the only young player another team could get excited about, and it leaves New York very shallow. It does. It depends on Utah. Utah doesn't have, like, the, I mean, there's a lot of teams, but let's use Utah as the example. Um, would they move Abaji? I mean, for salary reasons, it seems like that'd be the easiest one, but they also don't necessarily have to do that. The Knicks could do Clarkson for Grimes and for Fournier. Uh, so where would that leave them in terms of depth? Well, they would have Brunson, DiVincenzo, and Anobi, Randall, Hartenstein. Then they would have, uh, in this case, Clarkson, Deuce, Hart, and whatever backup big. In this case, I guess we could say it's Achua until Mitch comes back. So they'd still be in the need of someone. I think the it actually surprises me quite a bit that there's a uh, Matt Moore wrote about the Knicks expressing interest in AJ Green. It's still like I went completely under the radar with folks. Like it just nothing. And I know that he has not had a good season and he's certainly missed time for personal reasons. And he's fallen out of favor with Quinn Snyder. But man, I'm staring at that traded player exception that the Knicks got from Obi Toppin. And we've talked before about the Hawks probably wanting to save money. They've got two picks coming up. They presumably keep Sadiq Bay, but maybe they flip him. They've got commitments. There are things that they need to handle having, they're not even playing Kobe Bufkin, who they drafted this past year. So having AJ Griffin collect DNPs and his money counts against what they're doing. doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. And so then there's the philosophy of, okay, let's say you roll with that type of thing where that's how you moved Grimes and you got Clarks in the building. Uh, I don't think that Griffin as he is as a player today is a good substitute for Quentin Grimes. He also doesn't have to be. His type of depth where you could say he's potentially salary in a larger trade or the Knicks retain him or he's continuous soup down the line, maybe the year after that, whatever it may be. I was just very surprised that not much was made about that because that seemed very different compared to what the Knicks have been doing. You know, they did their OG trade that had been rumored for a while they're still going to look at stars. The focus is on a primary ball hander. And that that report, whether you want to believe the credibility of it or not, I will actually believe it because the connections with A.J. Griffin, obviously his father coaching in Milwaukee was close with Tibbs, CAA, someone who, without a role in, in Atlanta, you could get a depressed asset and try to turn that into something else, whatever it might be. And you know, I'd have to also look at the math where... If the Knicks were to make a star trade on draft night, if they needed to include Griffin, if they could avoid using Griffin, but still get out of the, avoid the tax, if they would avoid the hard cap entirely, things that I'll do on my own time that I wasn't able to do for today, but just various thoughts that kind of run through it. So I was surprised, but I think that would play into part of the depth, Joseph, where they'd be, it wouldn't be good talent that they have in the door, but it's more of a like break glass in case of emergency type of move where they still do they have Clarkson and head in that direction. 
but thank you. All right. Uh, I'm being told by Andrew that there are a couple of repeat super chats we've got coming up. So uh, I'll answer, I'll do my best to answer those and thank everyone who uh, plays a part in asking them. You guys all have great thoughts, great minds, think alike. So thank you. Here's Mark Odom. Uh, please explain this. Uh, if you can, why do you think the Knicks and the Hawks haven't already done a Grimes and Murray trade? Because I don't think the Knicks necessarily want to go in the direction of Murray. It's that trade kicker. It's the fit, as we talked about. I'm sure that the Hawks would like Grimes. Look, maybe they are able to do something with the Hawks that's just Grimes and Griffin. But what I don't love about that type of move is the picks that the Hawks have to offer. It's really the protected pick of the Kings pick that's this year. The Knicks have their own pick this year. They also have the Mavericks pick likely to convey this year. They don't need a third first round pick. So what about next year? Well, they can't do that one because they traded that San Antonio for Murray. What about the year after that? It's a pick swap and they can't trade it because of Stepien. The year after that, they traded that. So they can't trade that either. Can't trade the 2028 first because of Stepien rule. Are the Hawks really going to trade a 2029 or 2030 or even 2031 pick? Let's see, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. No, they can't even trade the 2031 pick. So are they going to trade 2029, 2030? I'm extremely skeptical. And if I'm the Knicks, that's really all I'm searching for because I, if I'm not looking for Murray, but you want to do a deal with me, then either you have to send something else out. It's got to be a three-team deal. But the reason why I don't think it's happened is, number one, because the Hawks are going to wait until the deadline or closer to it. Number two, they had to wait past January 9th, I believe, or when Murray was allowed to be traded. Number three, I just don't necessarily think the Knicks want to go in that direction. But if they do, then I'll certainly be wrong about that. So that would be the reason, Mark. But thank you for the super chat. Junon, thank you. The perfect fit for this bench is the Jazz version of Joe Ingles. Does this player exist in the league currently? Perfectly. I don't know if this is the best one. I would say Bogdan Bogdanovich from an offensive standpoint, at least in like the connecting type who can score and play well. I'm not just saying that because they are both international players. There's just a feel to each of them where they will make the other one better. I think Bogdanovich can do more off the dribble, probably as a higher usage, but I'd have to double check that. But I mean, that's that's kind of, you're asking for a, a secondary playmaker who can connect, but also ideally someone who can cover their ass on defense, which Ingles didn't do the best job, but also I don't think was the worst at it. So in terms of expendable players or players that are like up for grabs, that's the first one that came to my mind. Other than that, I don't think there are a ton of guys that check those boxes. I mean, heart in theory, but that's obviously a different archetype. Yeah, I mean, the Knicks, they could use a player like that, but they also need them to have the defensive acumen to keep up because if they can't, then they're struggling. I mean, I think you could, no, I was going to say you could make an argument about OG, but that's that they're completely different types of players. So I'll stick with Bogdanovich. And again, I don't think that, yes, I think there could be a trade there, but Bogdanovich also isn't a lead ball handler, which doesn't address that primary concern. So yes, you could split reps between Deuce and Bogdanovich, but if neither is really up to the task of running an offense quite in that way, then you're helping yourself by getting good talent, but not necessarily talent that can orchestrate an offense and get guys into a rhythm. Um, so that would be my answer, Juanon. Thank you. Harsh Patel. Hey, any chance you could 
uh, explain continuous soup. I hear you guys mention it a lot. And I think I know what it means, but not entirely sure. 100%. Uh, well, for starters, I'm just going to say I made it a really dope salmon chowder today. Uh, this was after a chicken tortilla soup a couple weeks ago. The streets were saying that I couldn't make two great soups this month. And uh, streets are wrong. I, I can maintain that I can, can make a pretty mean soup. But if we're not talking about the soup I make outside of the camera, we could talk about the continuous soup. The origin of that was essentially from a perpetual stew. Perpetual stew is a stew that goes on mostly in, uh, I want to say, Eastern Asian countries, where it's a stew that has been boiling and going for years. So the moment that they take the fire away and the food stops cooking, it's bad because it's years and years of germs and bacteria that are heated up by the soup. I'm not a science person, uh, so I'm going to leave it at that. But the whole point, the philosophy of uh, the expression for this was you can keep adding to it. And as long as you keep the flame going, the soup doesn't go bad. So it's kind of the gift that keeps on giving. You add something to the soup and you can churn out more soup later. So in the case of the contracts, what does that mean? In a sport where the salary cap is super important, uh, you have to have salary to make trades, except on draft night, right? Like you trade draft picks the night of and no money is exchanging hands. But for the vast majority of the NBA, you have to trade contracts. So continuous soup in this sense is, hey, let's find ways to help us plan for the long term. Let's bring in salary that we know could get us into a better spot a few years down the line. And it's hard for us in general to do long-term planning. It's hard enough to do retirement, for example, in our personal lives maybe. But this sense, it's, I know that two to three years from now, I'm going to need X amount to try to get this player. So instead of me hurting myself later and saying, man, if only we had this much money to bridge the gap between where we're at and where we need to be, that would have been great. Well, that's what the Knicks would be doing. They would need to be able to take money. And like a perfect example would be um, if the Knicks, let's say the Knicks had traded for Donovan Mitchell. And forget about the picks, just talk about the salary. If they had gone about it in, actually, forget about Donovan Mitchell. Let's, let's start over. Let's talk about a real life example, which is now. Imagine the Knicks were to acquire a 2024 free agent. Let's say it's DeMar DeRozan. Let's just, Ignore the realities of math and say that Fournier for DeRozan works. It's great. Send it. Well, this summer, a star becomes available and the Knicks say, great. All right. Well, who can we trade? And it's, well, we don't, we're not going to trade Jalen Brunson. And we don't really want to trade Julius Randle. I mean, we could, but the other thing is you want to add another all NBA type player, not necessarily swap one for another. And if it were someone like Embiid and you're moving Randle, it's like, okay, well, what happens when Embiid misses time? The Knicks are now down to potentially one All-NBA player if Jalen Brunson makes an All-NBA team. That leaves them in a worse spot. So you want to try to upgrade the excess here and move forward. But I digress. You get Julius Randle. You get um, someone like Brunson. Not going to move either of them. You need enough salary to get to you where you need to be. You're not going to be trading OG Ananobi, and he's a free agent, sign and trade. It's crazy to do. So now you're basically saying, we want to get Embiid. We have no choice but to try to move someone like Julius because just moving DiVincenzo 
and heart, yeah, that works, but also that's not necessarily something that helps us. So by getting other salary in the door, you are trying to help yourself later. So the perfect example, as Andrew is astutely pointing out, DeJounte Murray, any of these players that we're talking about, it's in the lens of getting them in the door, making sure their salary with any other pieces that might be there match and get you the player that you have long coveted instead of, well, we traded for like Tyus Jones and another salary and we'd love to get Embiid and we still can, but it, it pushes us into a position that we don't really want to be in. This is a way to have your cake and eat it too. In fact, this is a way to have your soup and eat it too. So uh, I know it's thrown a lot, around a lot. And certainly if you know, you know, but I hope for anyone who's new to the party, maybe doesn't quite know what it is, that that was uh, a long-winded way of explaining what continuous soup is. So Harsh Patel, I appreciate you bringing that to everyone's attention. Thank you. Jessica Elsner. Uh, hey, Jessica. Thank you for the Super Chat contribution. I'm not sure who the best fit is for the team. My only hope was that you got this uh, conk out before a trade happened. Mazel tov, you did it. You rule. Thank you, Jessica. Yeah, it was not great to work on something and then the Knicks decided to blow it up, but that's okay. I'm, I'm at peace with it because I've long been an OG fan and I was glad that they were able to do it. Obviously hurt to remove IQ and it still is frustrating to move RJ. And especially because you're not selling high on him, but I'm, I'm always happy to do these episodes and uh, whether it's conch or cream or whatever it is, just fun to interact. So thank you very much. 